What's up, everyone? I hope you are doing fantastically well today. This is Rafael Garcia here with Shawan Humes for episode 172 of the MMA Ratings Podcast. Today is Tuesday, July 21st, 2020, and we are here to talk about last week's action, this week's action, and everything in between. But before we do that, Shawan, want to let everybody know how you're doing, sir. Oh, I'm doing fine. Just juggling random parenting responsibilities again i'm telling so you what? if you are gonna have kids if you're gonna have kids make sure you are 100 percent dedicated to these children because they will test your love and your dedication for them if you aren't all the way in please don't do it you will kill them good stuff good stuff man tell me what what random kid story do you have today to share oh i have two first we had they had a tournament that they went to and um the first game they played well and this tournament was, it cost $12 to get in. I had to pay for my kid, my kid's mom, and my da- youngest daughter. That's $36 a day. And for the last three games my kids played, they essentially just almost mailed it in. So I spent $72, probably $90 getting food and stuff for them to mail in an effort and to complain about it. So that's fabulous. And then my other kid, this today, she's been working at this job. She works at Panera. She works a lot. It's not good with saving her money. So... After the summer, she will have no money left. And then she had some, she backed into somebody and damaged her car. So after this, after her last paycheck, she's been working crazy hours. She will probably have maybe $200 to her name, even though she's probably made about $2,000, $2,400 with no bills. She'll have about $200 to her name after paying for this and a ticket she got previously. So there is that. All right, so... Which situation pissed you off more? Uh, I'd say the one with the job. No, the one with the basketball thing, because that's just effort. I'm like, whether you want to do something or not, in the real world, adults have to do things they don't want to do. You give it your best, and you get result. You find a way to get results. The job thing, I told her that you should be angry, because you've worked 40, 50-plus hours, and at the end of the summer, you will have nothing to show for it money-wise. <laughs> I mean, that's how you basically got to say it, my friend. That's how you got to say it. I told Next. you, you hate. Oh, I hate these people now. Oh, well, it's too late now because now you leave it in, and you got two hundred dollars show out of the twenty five hundred you made. I'd be, I'd be angry too. So you know what I'm not angry at, man. This weekend I took the weekend off, and I went away. I put the phone up, disconnected from everything, and didn't do a damn thing. Really didn't talk to too many people. I hit you up, tell me about the fights, and that was probably the most refreshing weekend. I've ever had. So with that in mind, we will be talking about fights today that I did not see. However, I've taken some time to do some recapping and, or let me change. I didn't see them live. I've, I've watched what I needed to watch um, just because I wasn't really too interested in the show. So everything just worked out perfectly. So we're going to hop into talking about UFC Fight Night 172, um, also known as UFC Fight Island. I think this was number two or three because it was UFC 251, whatever number it was. I don't give a fuck. That doesn't matter. What does matter is we have a new bent, um, flyweight cha- uh, champion, a men's flyweight champion in Davison Figueredo, who picked up a stoppage victory over Joseph Benavidez. The second time he stopped Jiu-Jitsu in a row, this time finishing him in the first round via rear naked choke. Now, when I hit up Schwan on Saturday asking him about this fight, I was expecting to get good news, hoping to hear about him putting on a show uh, him being Joseph Benavidez and possibly getting a win. And that is the exact opposite 
of what happened. Schwan, let us know, how did this fight play out and was it as bad as you thought it was going to be? Uh, it wasn't a fight, man. It was like an assault. It, it was bad. Joe, Joe had no, no real offense. He uh, couldn't wrestle with him. He couldn't grapple with him. He couldn't defend strikes. He couldn't really land anything of any note. It was just it was one-way traffic, and you're shocked because Joe's been such a high-level athlete over the the extent of his career. He's fought the best, and he's never really, except for the exception of the Demetrius Johnson fight, he's never really had a guy just walk through him. Everybody's had to leave a piece of themselves in the cage with Joe when they fight him. But in this fight, he, he just didn't have anything for him, and I, I can't say I was shocked. He had the better skill set. He's he's more he's got more experience. He has better IQ, more awareness. But the, and I said this last week, a lot of Joe's success is based off of his timing and his power. He scares people off with his power, and guys don't want to commit to offense because they're afraid of getting countered or blasted with one of his leads or one of the short combinations that he lands. And so they, they get hesitant, and they try to pick their spots, and that allows them the freedom to pot shot and him to, to put pressure on these guys. But the worst thing, the second part of that is his timing, and as you get older and you have more wear and tear on you, your timing goes. And when you're a guy who relies on power and timing, that means some of your defensive measures and your counter-offensive measures aren't technique-based. And when you've lost a step athletically and your chin is not there anymore and your timing's not there, uh, the th things you get away with when you're 30, 28, 29, 30, 31 are things you can't get away with, especially when you're facing a, a high-end athlete. And this guy was too athletic for him. He couldn't get any of the shots he went off. He couldn't get away. He couldn't create space. He couldn't get the guy off him. He couldn't tie him up. He couldn't slow him down. He couldn't do anything. And he just got steamrolled. And every technical hole he has and every bad habit he has got exploited all at once in that night. And it, it was depressing to watch, to be quite honest. What was Joseph Benavidez's body language like at the end of the fight? Do you think he was dejected in a way that will make you believe that this was it for him? Because as I wrote uh, on, I think, Thursday of last week, I really think this was his last stand. Um, he is at a point, he's 34 years old, I think, and he's fought for the title five different times. Five. He's fought for the WEC title once, and he's fought for the some iteration of the UFC Bantam of Flyweight title four other times. Did his body language make you think that this was it for him? Like, did you see that in any way, shape, or form? Or do you think he's going to kind of retool and figure out a way to get back into the title picture, which I think is almost non-existent at this time? I don't think there's any... First of all, I don't think there's any way he can get back to the title. He he literally... And that guy hits hard. That guy hits very hard. But every single time he touched Joseph, he was getting rocked. He was getting dropped. I mean, he I've never, I've never really seen him manhandle like that on the ground. I've never seen a person just have their way with him in grappling exchanges. It wasn't competitive at all. And his body language looked like the guy who realized, A, I'm not getting another title shot, and B, I'm super, to me, he looks super depressed. Like, the reality had to set in on him. Not only is he not getting another title shot because he's had so many, he's not even competitive enough to demand one. At this state, I don't know who, who I'd favor him, favor him over. That's two fights in a row. He's gotten brutally stopped and taken a, and taken tremendous abuse if he doesn't have a chin with, with the technical deficiency he has defensively and and some of the 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 looseness of his offense he's not going to be able to beat any top five guy I, I can't favor him against the top five guy i don't know that i can favor him against the top 10 guy any anybody who's who's a quality fighter in that division has a chance against him 
Now he's skilled enough and experienced enough that he could beat anybody. But at this point, his ability to recover isn't great. His ability to absorb punishment isn't great. And he, he no longer has the timing to get by on the, um, on the kind of offense and, and the way he fights. So I, I don't know. I don't know who I favor him against. I, at this point, a top 15 guy might knock him off. Um, he just seemed dejected. The reality set in. He knows there's not going to be another title shot. And if he keeps on fighting, he's literally just fighting to fight. And if you're here to be the best and you realize that now you don't have an opportunity to do anything other than be a placeholder or a guy who knocks off young prospects, it's got to be a very uh, sobering thought for you. And there's nothing that he's going to be able to do that's going to be able to change anybody's mind. Not after these two last losses. He, he has no grounds to stand out for any title shot or, or anything else, to be quite honest. It's, it's pretty much the end of the road for him as far as I'm concerned. I don't know that he'll stop, but it is the end of the row for him. He's an elite fighter. Okay, good thoughts there, because I can I can kind of agree with you on that. I think that he is in a place where he is not he's not the Joseph Benavidez that's beating beating the hell out of everybody anymore and and staying at the top of the picking order. Let's talk about that. You know new the champion. sad thing about him? Before we get into that, the sad thing about it is in his prime, he wasted his prime in the UFC circling around the division, hoping that Demetrius Johnson would lose so he'd have a second shot at that title. That's basically what he spent the majority of his career. I mean, he went on some hellacious runs in that division, was basically cleaning out the division two times over, all for a champion that he lost to twice before, and he had no chance of beating, and he'd never get a shot at. So then he gets that brief reprieve. Demetrius is out. Henry Cejudo's won it. He's, he's fought a tough fight with Cejudo, and he just couldn't close the show to get that rematch. And then when he finally gets his... his uh, for the title fight, the guy doesn't make weight, headbutts him, he gets knocked out, and then he gets finally gets everything's even, even the guy made weight, it's his best opportunity, and he loses again. Like, I can't imagine what's going through this guy's mind. Like, he, he's been one of the best fighters in two divisions for the majority of his career, and he's never gotten it done. And he's got more opportunities than almost anybody else in the history of mixed martial arts. It's, it's, it's just, it's a, it's a very hard, hard story to swallow when you look at all, all the things that make it up. Yeah, we'll get back to Joseph Benavidez in a second because I want to talk about the new champion. What are your thoughts about Figueredo here? Are we looking at someone who is going to be in that position for an extended period of time? I'm seeing a lot of people really talking about him as a true threat of someone who can be a two-division champion. Is Figueredo that big of a deal at this point, or are we kind of overexcited about him right now? Well, I think he looks spectacular against Joseph, but Joseph's been on decline for years. So... It's going to make it. We've never seen Joseph dominate like that, so it's going to make the win the Figueredo had look that much more impressive. When it, when really the the, the the win is more about how far Joseph has declined than how good Figueredo is. I mean, he's a good fighter. He's an aggressive counterpuncher. He hits hard. He seems to take a good shot. He seems to be a very good grappler. But he wasn't facing anybody who had anything for him as far as physical tools, durability, physical strength, or or. Uh, um, the ability to recover from damage. So it was like it was like a one-sided fight against this guy. He held all the cards. He had, he held all the cards against. So I, I can't overhype that win because the guy he beat was in no position to be. With, really didn't deserve that, that position. To be if we're being honest, he got that on name. He got that on name brand, name name recognition. He didn't get that because he earned that. He he didn't have it anymore. Well, I think we could say that he did earn it in a sense. I mean, he's the last person to defeat Henry Cejudo. 
Um, he's and he beat every he beat Juicy Formiga and he beat a bunch of other guys who were at the top who were at the top of that division. So I think he did earn it. The one the thing, thing that, that rematch say, no, that rematch no again. man. I'm I'm sorry. I said the rematch no, well, it just didn't make sense to me. Yeah, Even with I mean, the weight yeah. loss, he it was a bad matchup. Like when you saw the fight, I was like, that guy was just ragdolling him. He couldn't every time the guy touched him, I'm like, what are you gonna? fix in the next six eight months was going to allow you to handle that he's never been a slick defensive guy he's not that dominant a wrestler anymore and even though he can hit hard he, he's hittable too so it's a 50 50 on any exchange like i didn't see i mean i thought he could eke it out maybe but the signs are saying that there was he wasn't going to win this and a lot of things had to go right for him to win okay i'll, I'll take that breakdown there first and we'll like i said we're going to come back to joseph in a second Figueredo, he's talking about fighting in two weight classes. Is that something that we need to squash right now and we need to talk about this division 125 and the way that this belt needs to, it badly needs to be defended. Uh, it hasn't really been defended in a way that makes any sense since uh, Demetrius Johnson held, held the uh, title. So what needs to be next for him uh, on the docket? Uh, they need to actually defend the, 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 in the division and build the division back up. I mean, Henry Cejudo won it, and then he wanted to move up weight classes. I mean, I think he defended it once, maybe, and then he moved right back up. They haven't had an active defending champion. For all the grief that Mighty Mouse caught, he was active, he defended the championship often, and he was dominant in doing so. But everybody knows there's not a lot of money in the division. The UFC doesn't believe in the division, and everybody's trying to get paid. Everybody's trying to jump, jump the line and get to the payday. So I don't think they should allow him to do it. I don't think there's a big enough matchup to allow him to do it, to be quite honest. I think he, he sh- should have to defend the title two to three times, at, mo- at least three times, before, before they even consider him moving up to fight. I mean, Bantamweight's got a bunch of people who are in line for a title fight, or guys who are a fight away from a title fight. They don't need another guy coming up, especially a guy who doesn't draw and isn't a big name and isn't a big seller. Why give him the title fight? Who does that benefit? What do you think about Tim Elliott? A guy who looked very good in his last bout. Do you think he is automatically seated as the number one contender? Um, I probably think Brandon Moreno is probably. I mean, Elliot. I, I want to say he lost the fight and then he won one, but um, he didn't. He didn't look great in the win. It was more of a win. He eked out. I know a lot of people disagree with it. Elliot, as good as as good as he can be, he's he's pretty hittable at this age, and his grappling is. He allows himself to get in bad positions, and against a lesser athlete or a less damaging, punishing fighter that might be allowable. But against a guy like Figueredo, that, that's probably going to get him killed. I think Moreno is probably the closest guy to the title fight right now. I think he'll probably get the next one. So then my final question on this topic here, what is Joseph Benavidez's legacy now that we are pretty much talking about him in a way that he may be done? Like, What, what is his legacy as a mixed martial artist? Well, he, first of all, he can still fight. He can be top 15 guys, maybe. It's just now, guaranteed win for him. I can't just mark in the book, oh, he's fighting this guy. That's a win. I can't say that anymore. Now it's 50-50. His, his, his career is going to be the same way um, Dan Cormier's was, I mean, essentially. Until Daniel won the heavyweight title, uh, Daniel was always the second best guy in the division. Second best in heavyweight, second best in light heavyweight. And uh, he never really became the best until he beat Stipe because he never beat John Jones. He was always a half step behind the best guys in the division. I guess he's more like an Alexander Gustafsson who had multiple attempts 
with two different champions and could never get over the hump. And he had a chance to get a rematch with Jones, but he lost to uh, Anthony Johnson. I guess his, his career mirrors his to a certain degree. I, I compare it to Uriah Faber, but Uriah Faber won the world titles in WEC when that was the only organization having those weight classes. So even Faber has some attachment to the UFC title because those belts came over and were transferred from WEC to UFC. So he's just a guy who was the best, one of the best of his class, one of the best athletes, one of the best fighters, one of the biggest heart, um, came from a camp that really turned the uh, lighter, lighter weights onto casuals and to the mainstream media. But he was a guy who could never get it done. At the peak top of the division, he never found a way to get it done. And a lot of times he was favored to get it done. He was favored to get it done against Mighty Mouse. Couldn't get it done. They, I think, I want to say they had him favored against Mighty Mouse the second fight. Couldn't get it done. Favored against Figueredo. Couldn't get it done. Favored against Dominic Cruz and WC. Couldn't get it done. He he had all the advantages. He had all the tools. He had all the experience. And no matter what situation or who it was, he could never finish the job. He got to the precipice of greatness, and he could never quite get to the peak. I appreciate all that you said there about him, and I and I agree with you too. He he's someone that we're going to remember as someone that was right there on the cusp, but can never get the job done, just as you kind of outlined. And it's yeah. going to be unfortunate. It's like a, it's like a great fighter. He's, he's never champion. It's the same thing with it, like Charles like, Barkley, great player, wasn't a champion. Dan Marino, exactly great one of the greatest quarterbacks ever. Yep, that's not exactly a champion. What I was going to say it's kind of like the way we uh, remember uh, Patrick Ewing and all those other guys that ran into Michael Jordan in his heyday. Yep. Let's move on to the next topic there because I wanted to talk about Jack Hermanson. Is he a real threat at 185 pounds? A lot of people, I was listening to a couple of different recaps, and a lot of people were expecting Kelvin Gastelum to go in there and blast the doors off of him, but the exact opposite happened. Um, Kelvin Gastelum had that good lateral drop, which you know I'm always here for a wrestler hitting a classic throw like that. He hit that throw, but then ended up getting heel hooked less than a few seconds later. So, And even more so, as much as I love the um the lateral drop i love a heel hook just as much is jack hermanson the real deal is this more about his uh i don't want to say explosiveness but his exploding into the the picture like that or is it more about kelvin gastelum maybe falling off a bit or or being who we thought he was this whole time uh hermanson's a good fighter he's caught some guys at the right time i think when he fought uh jock ray jock ray was Clearly not who he who he used to be as far as athleticism and durability. And as we discussed, um, like when we had T.P. Grant on like a couple years ago, a lot of Jack Array's success in his development, they skipped steps. So there's holes he had that he managed with his athleticism, his physicality, and his durability. Once it started to slide, uh, he started getting stopped. He started getting pushed back. He started, started losing the decisions to guys he, he generally would never lose decisions to because he didn't have the skill set to address the holes that people were now exploiting. In the case of Kelvin Gastelum, um, I don't know why anybody thought he was going to blow through anybody. Kelvin Gastelum, Kevin Gastelum made his 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 career the same way Chris Weidman did. No offense, good Chris Weidman, very skilled fighter, accomplished guy. But Chris Weidman made his career at middleweight, beating up on a bunch of old, old men. That's how he got it. He was beating up old guys, knocking out guys who were past their prime or didn't have it anymore, or who who, who declined tremendously. Mark Munoz, Vitor Belfort. Uh, Damian Maya, even Anderson Silva was in decline. Um, Gasoline beat up who? Michael Bisping? Uh, with Tim Kennedy, he fought. I mean, these aren't these aren't these aren't guys in their prime. These aren't 
physical dynamos. He had an athletic advantage because he's a welterweight coming up, so he's faster than the average welter middleweight. He can fight at a higher pace, a little bit more agile, and he's a tough physical guy. But against guys who are declining, he looked great. But when he's been fighting guys of comparable athleticism with some youth on them, he hasn't looked nearly as dominant. He didn't look very great. He didn't look great against Darren Hill. He had that fight against Irish Arizona, who was a fight of the year. But now, if you look, you look back at that fight, Adesanya doesn't look nearly as dominant as people think he is because ever since then, Kelvin Gastelum has been getting exposed by everybody. And the fact of the matter is, Kelvin Gastelum has been gotten by on his athleticism and his pace and his chin for years. And he's been fighting older, physically deteriorated fighters who couldn't exploit any of his holes because they no longer had their athleticism or their timing or their conditioning. And now that he's fighting guys who he doesn't have huge physical advantages over, all those technical mistakes he makes, getting shown up. All those limitations on the feet, limitations on the ground, the lack of attention to detail, the laziness in his preparation, which is why he had to move the middleweight in the first place, all that's coming, all those roosters coming home. And he's getting exposed for it. it that's all there's to it. Gaslam was ne never really a great fighter. He was a good fighter with good physical tools and a style that kind of exposed limitations in other people's other people's skill sets. But now the things are evening out and he's not the athlete he used to be and people are familiar with what Kelvin Gastelum brings to the table. He he's not looking world class. He's not even looking middle class as a fighter. If if we're being honest. That was a bad loss to him Anthony. He he had no answers. He had one move and from that point on he was he was flirting with danger. He didn't even have the good sense enough to force the fight to where he should have the advantage would be on the feet where he could force the pace, use his durability, use his volume. He engaged back on the ground. Whether Hermanson's a good, good grappler or not, the fact you almost got caught in the first place should be something that makes you a little bit wary. At least do some work on the feet, ding him up a little bit before you even go. He went right back on him. He w w went right back on the attack and basically walked himself into that leg lock. That's how it looked like to me. I'm not as good a grappler as you, but it looked like he pretty much served himself up. If I was him, I would have played distance, made it more of an exchange, and then seen what's up. But he didn't. He jumped right into the lines then and he got finished I mean you're on, you're on it today because that's exactly what a lot of people are, are, are saying in reference to his rise I found it really interesting that I've read a couple of breakdowns do a couple of breakdowns about how he did make his mark I don't, Sean what sound is that Sean can you stop whatever sound it is um, how he did yeah. make his mark uh, beating up a lot of guys who were past their prime. And they pointed that out pretty heavily because that's what a lot of his career has been at this point. And when he faces people who are at the same stage of their career, he falls off. Um, even the Chris Weidman fight, as you mentioned, he looked good at the very start there. And we know Chris Weidman is on the um, decline. And he looked good there. He started out well, but then it fell straight off. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and to that degree, he never won the title. If you look at Chris Weidman, what happened when he started facing young guys? Luke Rockhold beat him with an inch of his life. Yo Romero, who's immortal, beat him, beat him with an inch of his life. Jagar Musasi beat him with an inch of his life. The only young guy he beat was Kelvin Gastelum. But outside of that, he, he's systematically been handled by anybody who could average out his physical tools. And the same thing happened to Kelvin. I was never high on Kelvin. Thought he was a great guy, had a great story, had great pace, had had great maybe drive and activity, but I, I never thought he was a great fighter. And I routinely said that. And people kept talking about winning streets. I'm like, but who is he beating? That's what that's what it comes down to. And it's it's great for Kermanson because Hermanson got him at the right 
time and Kelvin Gastelum still has a name. But I mean, if if if, any, if you didn't see this fight coming, I, I don't know what to tell you. This this is probably one of the easiest fights to call of the year. Uh, Gastelum has plateaued four or five years ago, and he he plateaued five four or five years ago. He's steadily gotten worse the last two or three. I agree with you there, sir. Um, he's Kelvin Gastelum has been an interesting individual to me, and I think he just hasn't been what we thought he was. What's interesting is he, mm, I'm not going to say he hasn't been what we thought he was. I think he is what we thought he was. I mean, to be honest, someone who got through on the show on his wrestling, he's, he's evolved a lot, but he's not going to be that elite name, that, that top guy. And I, and I think this is really kind of coming into play. I want yeah, to, he was supposed to be elite. He's supposed to be a champion. He was supposed to be a champion. Yeah. He was definitely supposed to be a champion at some point. I want to also talk about Ariane um, Lipinski, Lipinski, however you say your last name. That knee bar she hit, I am blowing a chef's kiss to that knee bar that she finished in the first round to um, get that uh, submission. I think it was a big there. I really don't want to talk too much about that, but what did you think about that finish? Um, it was an impressive, savage finish. I don't know that her it, it was against an opponent who had a skill set or physical tools to, to deny her that finish so I think it was kind of a showcase fight they've been trying to give her a fight she could look dominant in and then pretty much for the first time in her entire run to UFC she looked devastating um so it looked it was a good win it was a it was good technique it, it looked impressive it was very damaged she looked very savage but at some point they're gonna have to put her back, back in with legitimate competition and we're gonna see if she's worth all the money and all the hype and she hasn't been maybe this is a new approach for her maybe she's gonna start working her grappling chops because her striking has been very lackluster and very, very uh, platonic as far as the skills I've seen defensively or offensively. Maybe she's figured she's got, got to take another approach to this to reach her full potential. But, uh, I mean, it's an impressive win. It's going to make some news. It's going to give her some momentum. But at some point, she's going to have to start fighting somebody on her level as far as a name and on her level as far as ability. And then we're going we're to find out we're gonna find out what she is because we still don't know what she is. We, we still have no idea of how good she can be because she hasn't really done it against anybody even knows. And she still hasn't. You're not wrong there. Anything else stood out to you on this card? Uh, not really. It was not the greatest card. I mean, it wasn't bad, but it's not, not one that, it, if this was a pay-per-view, I'd tell you it wouldn't do 1.3 million. I know what would do 1.3 million and all. What also won't do 1.3 million, maybe combined, I think, is the MMA action we have coming up this weekend. We have two fight cards scheduled. Bellator is coming back to the scene finally with their event coming up this weekend. And we also have UFC on ESPN 14. We're going to talk about that first because we have a big main event with Robert Whitaker and Darren Till at 185. This is pitting former champion Whitaker against former welterweight title challenger Till. Till was one of those guys who's gotten a win over um, Kelvin Gastelum. That was a split decision, which I don't think was as close as we thought it was back then, but it was still a split decision. Swan, that scraping sound. Thank you. Um, so let's talk about this fight here between Whitaker and Till. Till said, I saw an interesting headline from him today where he's basically saying that after he beats Whitaker, he deserves a title shot and nothing less. I totally disagree with him at this time. I 110% disagree with him. What do you think about his statement there? Do you think he deserves a title shot if he can defeat Robert Whitaker? Oh, God, no. Based off of what? Whitaker, Whitaker got totally demolished in his last fight. I don't understand how you would justify a title shot basically beating a guy who got KO'd 
but unless he knocks him out faster than Adesanya did. If he knocks him out even faster, I could see a loose argument for that. But if it's a decision or a contested fight, even if he ends it, he finishes it, but it's a tough fight, how would you justify that? You had to go three, five rounds with a guy who this dude smoked in less than, what, a round, round and a half, round and a quarter? No, that, that's not going to be enough. Beating Kelvin Gastelum and Robert Whitaker, maybe, maybe the UFC likes it because they think he's marketable, but as far as legitimate earning the fight, beating those two is not going to Beating Kelvin Gastelum means nothing nowadays. So that, that's like a win that didn't even happen. <laughs> Being Robert Whitaker isn't going to cut it. Robert Whitaker off of what, almost a year off? No, nah, that's not going to do it. Not going to do it for me. What about Whitaker if he wins? If I'm Whitaker and, and he wins, that's get him, him a title fight either. He beat Darren Hill, who just, whose only win at middleweight is over Kevin Gasolum, and who got smoked by Tyrone Woodley about six to eight months before that. This dude has, hasn't built any momentum up to, to be considered a contender. The only reason he would get a shot is because the same thing at welterweight where they feel he has some star potential so they're gonna put him in position early i'm not saying he can't fight i'm saying he hasn't beat anybody to deserve that deserve that opportunity and robert whitaker beating him doesn't prove that to me either to be quite honest uh if it's competitive same thing works in reverse if it's a competitive fight he definitely doesn't deserve it even if he knocks him out quick he doesn't deserve it darren till hasn't done anything in middleweight demand that kind of respect that that kind of attention he'd have to beat someone like cannoneer hell i'd even settle for a win over anderson silva is more legitimate than a win over darren till at this stage all right so i'm not going to disagree too much with that there at all um i'm interested in this fight because i want to see uh schwan i don't know what you're moving but it's scraping up against your uh, mic and i can hear everything about it um i want to see what whitaker looks like at coming back finally and i also want to see what um what till looks like at 185 against someone who is a threat i'm a little concerned because i'm always as i always am about whitaker and his physical state Schwan, you're still giving me a lot of feedback I'm trying not to move. Oh, oh there we go. that's why. Go ahead. Sorry. Okay. Okay. So, um, I'm still. I'm always worried about uh, Whitaker and. Hold on one second. I'm always concerned about Whitaker and what his um, physical state will look like when when it's time for him to compete. But let's let's really kind of see what that looks like because I think that he is an interesting threat at 185 pounds still even at this point of his career but i just think that he needs he needs he kind of needs some big wins and some time away at the same time and that's that's what 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 bothers me about him we know he's had issues with injuries we know he's had other problems that hit i know he had a situation with his daughter i want to say it was before his last fight that he had to pull out of that one so like i wanted to see what this guy will look like when he gets back into that title that title shape and that, that title place like he was when he fought Yoel Romero back-to-back. Yeah, the biggest thing with with um, Whitaker is that he's been through so many wars. Even the fights he's won in short order, like the, uh, it's just, he's taking so much punishment in fight after fight after fight after fight. You've only got so many punches you can take, so many kicks, so many miles you can take on your body. And you think in, in his career... He's had just tremendous, he's taken tremendous beatings, even in wins. He's been in tremendous wars, win or lose. And 
you would just wonder when you get to your expiration date. Now, I think taking the extended time off is good for him, but you have to wonder if that six to eight months or whatever so is enough to make up for the pretty much, I don't know, three, four years of damage he's put his body through. And if you go by skills, he's the better fighter than Till by far. He's a cleaner boxer. Uh, he's more defensively sound. He's better on the counter. He's better on the lead. He's probably the better grappler. He's probably the better wrestler. The thing that makes it interesting is Till is notoriously durable, and Till has his length, long long strikes, long left hand. He's physical. He, he can be a handful in clinches and handful in exchanges. But as far as skills go, it's not really, based on what we've seen from each fighter, it's not close. The problem is, can Whitaker fight it? pace and can is Whitaker's ability to take a shot and recover from damage the where it used to be if it is it'll be an exciting fight the Whitaker, Whitaker should win impressively if it isn't uh, I, all, all, all bets are law everything's up in the air because a lot of Whitaker's success has been his durability and his physicality and ability to fight at pace if he's compromised he can't do that and if he can't do that he's not the same fighter and even if he's making the right changes to his skill set as far as maybe wrestling more, being a little bit more defensively sound, picking his shots, that takes time for your body to acclimate it to. If you're used to go, going all out, your body's acclimated to that. Being defensively sound, even throwing less punches, is more stress on your body because your body is not conditioned to that in live situations. So it actually takes more energy even if you're being more efficient and you're being more defensively sound because your body hasn't conditioned to it under live fire. So any adjustments he made, this is the first time he's been in with a name opponent or a world-class opponent. It's the first time he's been in the cage in almost a year. We have no idea what he's going to look like. We have no idea how much punishment we can take. We have no idea if he can really stick to the adjustments or growth he's made during this time. We don't even know if he's made any. Maybe he thinks everything's okay and the same recipe will get him right back to the title. We don't know. All I know is Darren Till did not look great against Kelvin Gasolum. He didn't look like a world-class striker. He didn't look like a guy who's got better as far as grappling or as wrestling. He looked like a big, tough, long guy with decent work rate and some accuracy to his shots and a little bit of width in his striking. He didn't look like anything special. And for him to beat someone of Robert Whitaker's caliber, if Robert Whitaker is healthy, he'd have to be special. Darren Till was not. But if Darren Till beats Robert Whitaker, that didn't tell me Darren Till's special. That just tell me Robert Whitaker is no longer special. He's no longer one of the elite guys in the division. Great breakdown here. So last question I have in reference to this main event. Does it go all five rounds? I can't imagine it. I, I, I think if it goes all five rounds, I, I don't really think it I don't really think it does. I think it's fifty fifty. Either one gets knocked out. I do not know what Whitaker has left. I, I really don't. When you've taken that kind of punishment, your chin can go overnight. And as durable as Till has been, he wasn't he didn't he didn't run through Kelvin Gasolum. And when Tyron Woodley put put that clean shot on him, he sat him down too. And Whitaker hits at least as hard as Woodley and is twice as active. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Um, the next fight I want to talk about on this card is Carla Esparza versus Marina Rodriguez. I think this is a big fight. And the reason why I think it's a big fight is because Carla Esparza does not go away. She's been relevant in this division. I mean, I remember, I'm actually writing a piece about this. I remember when she got her doors blown off of her by Joanna um, Jacek. I mean, she got beat up in a way that we thought she would never be a relevant fighter in this division after that. But she's, and she suffered some tough losses since. I mean, she suffered that one way 
beat down by Tatiana Suarez as well, but she does not go away. She's facing an undefeated prospect. I think she's 12-0-2 heading into this fight. What does this fight mean for Carla? If she gets a win here, does she submit herself as a number one contender for that title? Or um, is she being fed to a top contender in a way that is kind of setting her up for the L? Um, I think the UFC sees this as kind of a no-lose no situation for them. If Esparza wins, you've got another contender for the title because she would have won, like, what, five, three out of five, four out of five, four out of six, something like that. And she's got name value, and she's a former champion, so it's easy to spin her back into a title fight against a new challenger, especially now that she's on a run and she's beating some youthful opponents who've had athletic advantages. And even when in her losses, like when she fought Suarez, she gave Suarez a pretty, she gave a pretty good account of herself against Suarez. And even the fight against uh, Goodell, Goodell, when she lost, that was competitive. That wasn't a blowout by any means. It was a grinded out type fight. So if she wins, you instantly have a contender and you have someone of a name value you can put in with the champ. If the other girl wins, she's beaten a former champion who's been on a, who's been on a, been on a win streak, who's fought name girls, who's never really been dominated has been competitive with everybody so you initially have a new contender either way you either have a new contender in the established fighter or you have a new contender in the new fighter as always as far as it has the physicality and the durability and the adaptability advantage i call her like misha tate for a lower weight class because she's shown the ability to adapt mid-fight to make adjustments in her approach whether it's work rate whether it's instead of focusing on striking it's focusing on grappling instead of focusing on grappling it's focusing on striking or as whether it's transitioning ranges, whatever it is, she makes great calls mid-fight and makes adjustments. And one thing that separated Carla Esparza from almost every fighter, male and female, is she has actually gotten better. Carla Esparza is a better striker than she was two years ago, two years, three years ago. She's a better all-round mixed martial artist than she was two or three years ago. Before you put her on her back, she was garbage. Now you put her on her back, she's threatening you with submissions, she's controlling you, she's reversing you, she's sweeping you. Before you start hitting her, she just backs up. Now she's taking angles. She went, She's winning exchanges. She's putting shots together. She's re really dedicated herself to the art of mixed martial arts and slowly and incrementally improved, whereas a lot of girls have just stayed the same. So I give Carla as far as a lot of respect. A win over her still means a lot. But the UFC is just taking this as a we win either way. We either have a new young contender or we have a, a reestablished old, old contender. Either way, it gives us potential contenders and new new challenges for the champion. And that's all they really care about. They, they don't really have an invested interest in either one because neither one of them has that uh, that that star quality like a Rebus might have. She has star quality. These two, win or lose, aren't, aren't the kind of people who are going to take the sport to the next level or the division. Tell me about Rodriguez. I don't know a lot about her, uh, but tell me a little bit about her. Um, she's fair. I mean, in my opinion, she's, she's not a standout martial artist. She's not a standout fighter. She's conditioned. She's, she's fairly athletic. She's tough. She's, she's explosive in certain spots. I, I don't know that she puts the whole game together. She seems like one of those fighters who kind of does one thing and does the other. She can strike, 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 grapple, 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 wrestle, wrestle, wrestle. I don't really see her transitioning between ranges is effectively. I don't know that she can effectively bully a fighter who's who's comfortable with a certain level of contact and comfortable with a certain level of, of physical, physicality. 
I think a lot of the wins she has is a matter of her, her having clear athletic advantages and clear physical advantages over opponents and having opponents who don't know how to deal with that. They don't know how to respond to someone who, who doesn't let them have their way. Unfortunately, in facing, um, in, unfortunately, facing Esparza, she's going to have a fighter who mentally won't shut down or mentally won't break when she's not getting the spots she wants and who's willing to work her way out of spots that she doesn't want. Um, the best example would be when you saw her fight against Cynthia Calvillo. I mean, she had her moments, but she could never really take that fight over. She couldn't separate herself. And Calvillo, even though she had a really big win recently, hasn't really improved in two years. And the fact that she couldn't figure Calvillo out or shut Calvillo down is very concerning to me. It, it, it shows chinks in her armor that tell me that someone with Esparza's class and Esparza's experience is going to be able to exploit her because she couldn't force a pace to overwhelm Cynthia Calvillo and she couldn't slow Cynthia Calvillo down enough where she could physically control her and and kind of exert her dominance or showcase her dominance in, in grappling exchanges or in striking exchanges. That's kind of concern for me, that she couldn't make an adjustment whether with her aggression, her work rate, or the technique she's using. She was just doing the same thing over and over. It was working, and then it stopped. And she had no ability to adjust and, and, and reassert her control. And against somebody who has the ability to adjust on the fly, that's a problem. I mean, beating Tisha Torres doesn't impress me. Tisha Torres, for all, is a very flawed fighter strategically and technically. And beat Jessica Aguilar. Jessica Aguilar at that point had nothing left. She declined physically, can't control where fights happen, isn't a good striker. And having a draw with random Marcos, I mean, it's the same thing as fighting Cynthia Calvillo, two very one-note fighters who have a hard time putting things together. And you couldn't find any way... To, to compete at a level to separate yourself from them. You, you basically had success and then you didn't. And you had no ability to regain that success, that, that momentum. That, that's a concern for me against somebody with a spot or his IQ. You remember when Jessica Aguilar used to be the best lightweight or was it 125 fighter in, in the women's yes. um, world? Her and Esparza was supposed to be the, the fight. They wanted. Hello. Yeah, it's crazy how um, it's crazy how time flies. It's crazy yeah. how things change. Uh, uh, Aguilar's out of the sport, and Esparza is still. She's like a win away from being top five. Yeah, it's funny how that yeah. how that completely shifted. They brought in Aguilar, expecting her to win the belt that um, that season, and look how that played out. Uh, one, one um, more thing about one more thing about Rodriguez. When you look through her record, you see early on it's these dominant decisions, it's these stoppages. It's is TKOs, but when you start seeing that talent level and that skill level level out a little bit, she doesn't look nearly as dominant. She can't put a stamp on these fights. She beats Torres, but it wasn't dominant. Down. She beat Aguilar, but that's Aguilar. Marcos and Cynthia Javier are the two best opponents she's faced, and she couldn't separate herself from them. That's that's a problem. Is as good as they are, as tough as they are, they're they're pretty much a blueprint has been built for you to beat them, and you either couldn't follow it in, tre- in preparation and training and execute, or, or you couldn't figure it out on the fly, that's not a good sign against somebody like Esparza. Esparza will give you rounds. She'll give you moments, but she figures you out. And if you can't do the same, it's a problem. And she's not easy to intimidate or scare off. Great stuff there, man. Great stuff. Last thing I want to talk about on this card is a reference to one thing that is probably going to be a little bit mean, but... Um, there are three fighters on this card 
that are over the age of 40 years old. Three. Of these three individuals, who retires first? Mauricio Shogun Hua, Antonio Rodrigo Noguera, or Fabrizio Verdun? If I had a choice, I would think Noguera, win or lose, has to be out of this. I, I can't imagine why he'd want to continue to go on. It's clear that he's not who he used to be. He's not even he's not even super active. This will be you know his first fight since November 2019. That's and that was off a draw. I don't know why he would. Excuse me, that was that was not him. I'm sorry. I I would say Noguera. He's taken the most punishment. He's really the furthest back as far as the as far as being a contender in a title position. He hasn't put a lot of big wins together. He hasn't put a lot of wins together at all. They're making this fight, hoping to get some heat from their previous rivalry and pride. Um, I, I would think he'd be the person. I think Verdum still thinks he can fight. He could fight in another organization. I think Shogun has actually won some fights, even though he's lost, lost a couple. He's still he's still able to put two or three wins together. Um, but Noguera, to me, I, I, I think he should have already retired. After the punishment he's taken and as much as he's fought, I, I really think he... He's the guy who should who should shouldn't be competing right now. He, him and Shogun shouldn't be in this sport, but at least Shogun's put two or three wins together in the past four, four or five years. No Garrett has done nothing of the sort. All right, sir. All right, I like that um, analysis there. Let's talk about let's talk for a little bit about this Bellator card this weekend, where we have the only thing I really care about on this card. We have how many fights we have announced so far? We have seven fights announced. The only fight I really care about is this Ricky Bendejas versus Sergio Pettis card. I don't know too much about Bendejas. What do you know about him? Um, where does he stand? At, and this because a lot of people are really booking this as a major important fight for the bantamweight division over in Bellator. Sergio is making his second fight in the promotion since leaving the UFC. Do you think this is a fight that's made for Pettis to kind of submit himself as that top contender, or is uh, Bendejas going to surprise everybody? Well, I mean that's basically that's that. That's basically what it is. Um, this is Bendejas is a tough guy. He's he's a little limited athletically, and he's not the most durable guy. But he's a tough guy. He, he's got some experience. He's aggressive. He's got a decent all round skill set. But this is really a fight that's supposed to showcase um, Pettis and put him in pole position to challenge for the title. Um, the, the level of opposition they faced isn't even in the same universe. Pettis has faced some of the best fighters in in the world. And whether he's won or lost, he's never really just been utterly dominated or walked through. They're not even in the same spheres as far as the competition level. Um, but they need they need to give him a name who people are a familiar with and a guy who's been seen as somewhat of a tough ass out because that's going to allow Pettis to get a get rounds and b establish himself as a legitimate threat to the uh, champion in that division. They they learn from the mistake of giving Vincent Henderson a title shot right off the bat because he lost that title, his first title shot so dominantly it just took away any shine from him being in the division. It was like went from going to be he could possibly be a two-division champion to a guy who maybe he he can't even compete in the Bellator cage. Maybe Dana was right to let him go. So they're trying to give Sergio the opportunity to build himself facing tough but ultimately limited in experience of opposition that he can build his name off get rounds in and hopefully win an impression fashion to kind of draw the fans' interest and kind of take advantage of his name recognition among MMA circles. Is there anything else from this card that really stands out to you? We have Aaron Pico fighting Taiwan Claxton, fighting Jordan Mean, making his UFC debut. Is there anything that stands out to you 
for this card that I think is going down also on Saturday. Uh, well, one more thing about Pettis. Just a reminder, Pettis isn't a big hitter, and Pettis is not world-class durable. He can be roughed up. He can be rocked. He can be hurt. So any fight is dangerous to them because he's not the kind of guy who just wipes the floor with you and walks through you. He's he's vulnerable to that. He can be vulnerable to physicality. He can be vulnerable to pace. So any fight is dangerous to him. As much as there's a gap in skill level and experience, any guy who's who can take fire and fire back and force a pace on him and kind of force some spots on him is a threat to Sergio Pettis. Let's not, he's not Anthony. He, he doesn't have that durability. He doesn't have that power. He just got a better skill set. But in that better skill set, you can find spots to be effective. You can push him. You can make a fight exciting. You can show some of his limitations. So just because he's better than, ben, than Deadhouse doesn't mean that it's a walkthrough or easy fight at all. That, that's just how I see that. I would favor Pettis, though. As far as the uh, rest of the fights on the card, um, it's really hard to tell. It's really hard to tell what to get excited about. The Pico Pico's always interesting to me because it's amazing that a guy who was basically deemed as the next George St. Pierre, the guy who's going to be the next star for uh, for you, the next star in the in the MMA sphere, has fallen so fast. I mean, he lost his first fight, then he came out and looked like he was going to be be a beast, and then he just started getting knocked out again. And it, it's it's crazy to see a fighter who came in with such fanfare and such physical tools and such a, a solid resume to come out and and just and basically be relegated to a, a journeyman with a big name at this stage. At this this age, as young as he is and as few fights as he had, he's almost a journeyman stage. The guys he's he's he, he's lost to aren't elite fighters; they're journeymen. And um, it, it's very interesting to see what he comes out, what he tries to do different or if he's grown, or, or if anything works at this stage. Because when you have the knockouts that he's had, knockout losses he's had, um, you're, you're always in danger. You're always to be in danger and finish, because guys know that you can be finished at any time, and they really know that. They've seen that, and it makes them fight you differently. And I'm, I'm curious to see what adjustment he's made to protect himself from being knocked out. We've seen him knocked out exchanging. We've seen him knocked out pressuring. We've seen him knocked out dominating fight wrestling. What else can he do? to protect himself from that risk. Is there anything he can do? Is this basically seeing the LeBron James of MMA, of MMA being taken out before he even hit his stride or hit his prime? It's very fascinating. It's very fascinating to see and observe. Yeah, I'm really interested in how Pico looks as well, too. Um, he's five and three. He's five, I think his opponent has eight wins. I'm just really, like, what are they doing with this guy? He should have been given, like, they should have called me out of retirement to, 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 to fight him at 145 or something like that. They should have gave him guys like that to build him up, but they really didn't, and now they're kind of paying for it because we're having these types of he, Well, he, he insisted. Well, yeah. He insisted that, that, on that, it. That also, too. But you, but that's a, I like, you don't listen to the fight. I get the fighter wants the best. I'm glad that he wants the best, but somebody has to be in that camp saying, hey, that's not what we're doing here. We're trying to acclimate you to it. We're trying to get you on a roll. And even after his first loss, they kept just fighting tougher and tougher. It was, it was. I, I admire the guts. I admire what they're trying to do. But you took a guy who could be, who could have been one of the most dominant forces in the sport, and you basically relegate. Like I said, he's five and three with two brutal knockouts and one, one, one quick submission loss. I mean, he, he's really two losses from being. A, journeyman he's a loss or two away from being a journeyman or retiring from the sport if he gets knocked out again in my opinion you shouldn't you shouldn't get knocked out like that three times three three 
three times in eight fights and continue to fight. And that ruins everything else he had going, the boxing, the wrestling. It, it's, it's hindered him on every possible level. And I feel like Bellator's mishandled this tremendously. Uh, also, Jordan Means fighting on the card. Once again, not a big name, but an experienced guy who's, who th- they're trying to fill out their division to kind of give their name guy someone to fight as a uh, gauge of how good you are or what you have left or if you have star potential. That, that's all he's being used for. He's not a potential champion. He's not even really a, um, a fringe contender. He's more of a journeyman type guy who's going to knock off some guys if he still has something left. Or worst case scenario, guys beat him and get a little bit of a rub by beating a veteran of mixed martial arts. True. I see what you're saying there, sir. Uh, let's move on to our listener questions here. We have how many questions we want to talk about? Three. The first one we kind of hinted at, joking around, but what age... If you were, let's say you were managing a corner, a fighter and you were um, basically in his corner running things, running the show, at what age should fighters consider retiring? We have three guys who are over the age of 40 fighting this weekend. All of them are heavyweights. We see a different situation. Well, actually not all of them. Shogun's fighting at 205. But we see a different situation where we look at the weight classes. Lighter weight classes tend to get put out on their shield a little bit sooner compared to the heavier weight classes. One 205 and above. If you were running a show for someone and you were basically their care was in your hands, what age would you talk about them when it comes to retiring? Um, it depends. To me, if you're going to be a lightweight or heavyweight, you can fight until your 40s. Your experience is going to carry you. I mean, even if you're not athletically where you used to be, the divisions are so thin, guys can't get the appropriate experience or the appropriate looks to handle when adversity comes up. You see so many guys come through light heavyweight heavyweight they're knocking people out they're submitting people left and right then, then they face some veteran whose chin is gone whose athleticism is declined and they either get submitted or knocked out by the guy because they get him in a bad spot but they don't have any of the poise or finishing ability or technique to fully take advantage of them end up exposing themselves and getting finished themselves we've seen it time and time again when frank Mir was on his his run knocking out all these young heavyweights uh what's the name uh i can't remember his name the one who just beat, beat Anthony Smith half to death. A Glover Teixeira has been knocking off every hot stuff, light, light heavyweight prospect for, for the last year and a half, last two and a half years, two and a half, three years. He's been wiping the floor with them. They beat the hell out of him first round. Then he turns around either beats the hell out of them and stops them or submits them. The guys don't, don't have enough time to face the right opponents to develop their awareness, their IQ, their skill, or the defensive tactics under pressure. And these experienced guys exploit that. As far as the age... My thing isn't the age you retire. It's the circumstances under which you're fighting. You're taking four, five, six brutal knockouts. I don't know that you should be fighting anyways, regardless of what age you are. It, it depends on how you're losing. Are you losing in close decisions? Are you losing it where it's punishment that you can manage? Or are you just getting a flat line? Are you taking five rounds of punishment? Are you taking four and a half rounds of beatings and then succumbing? That's what I, I, what I would determine it by. Like I said, you can lose a fight and be competitive and take a reasonable amount of damage, and you can lose a fight and get beaten pillar to post that changes you as a fighter for the next two years of your fight, your, your career. If you're having those kind of fights, there's a second or third one, you need to call it a day. I don't care if you came back in one. I don't care if you got the flash KO, flash submission. Those fights take years off your career, and if you are anywhere near elite or you have the potential to be elite for five years, fights like that take about two years of that off your, off your career. So, 
So if you're taking those kind of fights and you're in those kind of wars repeatedly and you're not moving up and getting rewarded for it as far as the opportunities or life-changing money, you need to stop because the money you're making isn't going to take care of you and the problems you're going to have as a result. It's all how you're losing and how you're winning. How are you losing and how you're winning? No problem. We can talk. We can we can lean on that because I definitely agree with you. Next question is reference to Bellator. Did they make the mistake of coming back too late? So we know that UFC jumped in and jumped in early. They had a lot of support among fans, uh, among the structure. So they really um, they really went out of their way that. Uh, to make sure that they were first. You know, that's what Dana White kept talking about. First, 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 first. And they were definitely first. So Bellator is now coming back into the fold. Do we, are we in a situation where uh, fight fans are kind of over it? Are they? Oh, oh, Bellator. Oh, Bellator dropped the ball big time. They were, they were never, they were never in the running for the being the top three position is the mixed martial arts. In fact, all three positions are held by the UFC. UFC first, UFC second, UFC third. Gold, silver, medal, bronze medalist. UFC's got them all. Bellator was already a disadvantage. They don't have the names and they don't have the depth and they don't have anything that separates them. They used to have the tournaments. They don't even have that now. The, the little heavyweight tournament gave a little bit of momentum and then they just let that die out. Essentially, Bellator, probably if they could have, they, they should have been throwing as many events as possible. And Dana White knew that if they waited for the pandemic to get under control, for things to slow down, they would have to compete with all the regular sports that are coming back and whoever else was in the MMA sphere putting up fights. So Dana struck with the iron was hard. Well, the iron was hot. He brought in new fans, gave them big, sexy fights they wanted to draw them in. And now they're firmly in that lead dog position. Now they're going to be passed up by the NBA. We know that's going to happen. But... The fact that matters, they're going to be a strong second. I mean, we don't even know there's going to be a football season or a college football season. The UFC has been the most consistent sports sports product in, in America or pretty much the world. And Bellator had a chance to get in on that and kind of separate themselves or at least have themselves in that conversation, and they dropped the ball. I mean, I get why they had to drop the ball. I get what happened. But this was an opportunity they couldn't afford to miss, and they missed it. Not saying they would have had great cards, but just have something out there for that consumption that the fans get accustomed to. Like, we don't have football. We don't have basketball. You had four, four, five, six months to yourself, and you got nothing. And now you're coming up with a card that's not particularly strong. It doesn't have a lot of name value. After the UFC did $1.3 million two weeks ago, after they did a couple, what, a million before with, with Gaethje and Ferguson? I mean, I mean they're, they're, they're probably not going to be in any worse situation than they are. But they had a chance to improve their spot, and they, they did not take advantage of it, in my opinion. I mean, I totally agree with you there. And it's funny because we see the NFL is struggling. They have, I want to say, 30-some-odd players today, like 3% tested positive for COVID and haven't even started testing full scale. So we are in a point where people are fiending for sports, but we're getting what we can get. And MMA could have been the first, um, like, the first and the, the best, you know, I guess to kind of set the stage for everyone else. And Bellator could have been a part of that conversation. And unfortunately, they missed out on that. 
Um, last question we have, because we haven't really talked about boxing too much. Are there any boxing fights that you're keeping an eye on, looking forward to over the next few weeks? Uh, I know uh, Virgil Ortiz, a young fighter for the uh, for Golden Boy, is going to be fighting. Um, I think Oscar Valdez is going to be fighting Miguel Burchell. He won his he won a fight tonight, and I think he'll that'll be the next fight lining up for him. Um, the biggest thing I, I find about boxing, the most interesting thing I find about boxing is one, there's been a bunch of scandals. Jarrell Miller tested for performance-enhancing drugs, and he's a guy who's failed multiple times. Not just failed multiple times, but failed multiple times with multiple drugs in his system. So that's been a big story. But secondly, the biggest story in boxing has been all these fighters are saying, I'm not going to take pay cuts. I want my full pay, even though we're coming out of pandemic. And the thing about that is, if you want your full pay, you can no longer get by on fighting a guy who's 15 and 15 or 15 and 17 or 17 and 13. You're going to have to fight named guys. People are not going to come off their hard-earned money to see you fight somebody who they know you're better than or who they know you have a huge advantage over. They're going to pay for competitive fights. And these fighters have gotten used to fighting tough but limited guys and making $5 million. That ain't happening no more. Ain't nobody got the money, the spare income, to throw away to see their favorite fighter fight some pushover. You're going to have to take real fights with real threats and real names. Like Gervonta Davis is going to fight Leo Santa Cruz. That fight's been talked about for two years. That fight never came close to happening. But these guys want to get paid, and the only way they're going to get paid is that they take some risk. And now you're going to have to start seeing fighters have to take risk because you want $10 million to fight. I want, you see, I want you fighting a $10 million threat. I want you fighting somebody I recognize as a good fighter, not some top 25 guy who's crafty and tough and never gives up. We've already seen that. We know, we've already seen the guy who you have to tip your hat to him because he didn't give up. I don't want to see don't give up guy. I don't want to see hustle guy. I want to see a guy who who's a 50-50 chance of beating you, a guy who's fought top guys, and now after you beat him, I know how good you are. Tired of seeing the squash matches. I'm tired of seeing $4 million to see Danny Garcia beat up Rod Salka or a faded Brandon Rios. I want to see you win with a live dog. And these guys are going to have to start taking tougher fights to justify the salaries they're getting because they don't want to take pay cuts. Don't take one. But you got to give me my money's worth too because I've been working in six months and I'm not giving forty nine ninety five to see you fight somebody who's a pushover. I'm not even turning on the TV to see you get an easy KO. You want my money, you want my attention. You better bring somebody who demands my money and attention. And that's the biggest battle that's happened in boxing nowadays because they have had some freedom and some power. They've empowered their fighters and they've gotten a little comfortable. And I know it's a dangerous sport. I get the risk. I'm not a fighter. I get it. But I'm a family man. You're a person who, who has bills and expenses. You want to pay to see uh, un defeated fighter who's got two world titles by the guy who's 17 and 15? I don't. You know? What about the top-ranked Summer Series? How would you grade that? How did that go down for you? If you watched it's it, been good. It's been some good fights, but it hasn't been the tentpole fights because the tentpole guys don't want to shake short money. And unfortunately, all the guys with the biggest names and the biggest draws are having logistic issues, for one. And two... These guys want even more money to fight a name guy. I want $5 million to fight a bum. I want $15 million to fight a really, really good guy. And this guy, really good guy, all the really good guys are in different organizations, different promotions. And so it makes it hard to get the fights you really want. So a lot of fights have fallen through. A lot of fights have had last-second replacements. A lot of fights have fallen through, and they've had to move up a complimentary fight into the main event. But at least it's been boxing. It's been fairly competitive, good fights. It just hasn't been the fights that draw the the uh, attention of the casual fan. 
but it's been good fights. And the fact of the matter, they've been putting out a product. Top ranks ahead of the curve because top ranks been routinely putting things out. So people are gonna first thing they're thinking right now is of top rank. Top rank and Golden Boy because they've been putting stuff out left and right. They've been pushing their guys to the front of the line. But um, you haven't had the uh, tent pole fights, the big blockbuster events. But they've been putting on good fights, good competitive fights uh, that have established or reestablished. Some guys who might be forces in in multiple divisions, but it ha- hasn't had the uh, the Gaethje Ferguson fight yet. We haven't had something like that. We haven't had a, a Usman type Masvidal type of event yet, and I, I don't know when that's going to happen, given how how stingy these guys are as far as what they want to get paid and who they're willing to face for that kind of money. Good stuff, sir. I appreciate your analysis on that because I'm really I'm trying to get into boxing a little bit more and kind of mm-hmm. see what's out there. But let's let's talk about that. Um, let's now let everyone know what we're working on. Uh, why don't you tell everybody what you're working on first? Uh, as usual, I kind of like I run ideas by Michael, the, the boss man. If he doesn't like it, then I basically take my articles and break them down into series of tweets that I make through MMA ratings. Give it to the fans that way <laughs> and spread the word that way. Uh, outside of that, I've just been uh, working on some other some other live action comic book pieces because there's always there's so many characters to do and people send me requests. So kind of kind of find the right scenes to to treat it. Like I said, as I always do, I treat it as a fighter, breaking down the technique, the angles, the thought process behind it. That's something I enjoy doing, but it's it's actually quite hard because it's like you have to be. You have to treat something that's not real like it is real, which means you have to find the right fight scene to showcase the, the storyline and the angle you're telling to get the analysis off so people really understand it. And even though they're fictional characters, you got the comic book fans who want their character represented correctly, and then you got the MMA slash comic book fans who are like, dude, I don't mind you talking about this comic book character, but I want to hear about the Chris technique and the strategy and the IQ. I want this done to the same caliber as the article you're doing on Justin Gaethje. That's what I want about this fictional made-up person who's not really fighting. That's the level of analysis I want. So it's, it's a very interesting dynamic as far as the challenges of appeasing everybody and, um, and doing it justice to the point that people who know fighting appreciate the breakdown I'm doing and appreciate what I'm doing for the character. I literally, I went on, somebody sent me a link to a, a, a forum or something, and it was like, eight pages of people arguing about like this guy can't be this guy and this guy here with this article didn't get it right and i'm like first of all i did get it right second of all this is a made-up character we don't need eight pages of of people arguing about the legitimacy of the fighting technique but you know people love what they love and i'm glad glad to bring another dimension to it there's a youtube channel i should send you that talks about different fighter comic book matchups I should send that over to you so you can kind of see what they what they say there. I think you you'll um, appreciate that. You have to kind of oh. sift through some of their videos to find it, but uh, you 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 could probably use that for some of your work that you're you're doing. Oh yeah, one more thing, one more thing. On uh, MMA ratings, I want to thank the fans because my article on breaking down Captain America's fighting style is still one of the top ten search MMA rating articles. Ian, that's like, I did that like almost a year and a half ago, and it's still in the top 10. So I thank you guys for suggesting it to people. I thank you guys for retweeting it. I thank you guys for looking at it a million times. 
because that's the only way I can explain it. I released that like in April. I released that when they had a uh, Infinity War and Endgame's co- coming on like what six, seven months ago, and it's still in the top ten. People still look it up on Google or look it directly through the website. So I appreciate y'all for uh, for doing that. It, it's one of my favorite pieces, and I I thank y'all for supporting it. Definitely there, definitely. So I am picking up a lot of writing content. I just actually kind of signed on to manage a, uh, take on a co-site expert, I guess, position for Daily DDT, which is a, is a subsidiary of FanSided. Wow. So I'm kind of doing some more editing there as well. So yeah. I'm always find out stuff last second. Why am I the uh, last? I mean, you know, it's all about the paper to me. So but not, seriously though. We're doing some good, doing doing some good things, making some good money over there, putting out some good content. You, if you want to ever want to see it, check it out. I'm always sharing the content on my Twitter channel, Twitter page, whatever you want to call it, Twitter profile. Doing that work there. I have some more content coming out for MMA ratings this week about Carla Esparza and uh, another podcast later on this week. So yeah, you know, we we're, we're always in the lab, always putting together some work. So. With that, we're going to go ahead and close out today's episode. I thank you, everyone, for taking the time to listen to us. I thank you um, for everyone that supports our content. Please be sure to continue to do so. Uh, we have a space in MMA, and even though you know our, our audience may not be large, our view may not be large, but we definitely have a, a, a space in this industry. And with that in mind, Shwan, thank you for being here with me. We'll be back next week. Thank you, sir. Appreciate your patience, man. I really do. Thank you so much for letting me be part of the show. Bye.